If you would, remain standing for the reading of God's Word with me. Turn to Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. If you're using a pew Bible, you can find that on page 2, page 2, Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Yahweh God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated. So every week the church gathers We gather together in obedience to God's word for the purpose of worshiping the Lord. We read and we study God's holy scripture. We sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We pray together and we sit under the preaching of God's word. We partake in the Lord's table. And when the Lord saves a person, we are blessed to see someone obey the Lord and be baptized. Every one of these things are essential as brothers and sisters in Christ. We need them all as God's children. In Hebrews 10, we are instructed. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the gathering together of the body of Christ is not to be neglected. We are to faithfully gather together for the purpose of worshiping the Lord together, but also to encourage one another and to be encouraged, to strengthen others and to be strengthened, to be reminded of our confession of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, that we are to come together, we are to enjoy 
fellowship that we have in the blood of Christ and use our gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to us for the building up of the body of Christ. We stir up one another to love and to good works. So weekly we gather, we are reminded of the good news of Jesus Christ. Weekly we gather and we are reminded of eternal things that we have forgotten and failed to keep as a priority in our own life. We all need to be reminded, for we are very forgetful people. This is one of the many reasons that I love this time of year. I love Thanksgiving. I love Christmas. I love gathering with family and friends, giving thanks to the Lord and being reminded of the sweetness of Jesus Christ and the many gifts that he daily provides for us every day and every year. And every year when family and friends gather, the turkey is set on the table, the lights are hung on the house, and the tree is decorated, I am reminded of the Son of God coming to this earth to save sinners. With every light that I see, with every, every smile that comes on people's faces as we gather together, every piece of food, I am reminded of the blood of Christ. And today we begin a series entitled The Promise of Christmas. We are looking today at a promise given in the Old Testament that was later fulfilled in the New Testament. And my prayer is that this series would remind you of the goodness of Jesus Christ. That you would stop and you would consider Jesus Christ every day in your life. And you would consider him and you would praise him. That your affections will be stirred that your ultimate pleasure in this world would be your union with the Father, with the Son, and with the Spirit. That you would swim deeply in the knowledge of God and the great love that our Lord has for us. That all of your daily affairs, that your mind and heart would be set on the person, life, and work of Jesus Christ. So before we begin looking at Genesis 3, Please look with me at Genesis 1 so the proper foundation can be laid. In Genesis 1, we find in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So in the beginning, there was only God. And God created everything by the word of his power. So he spoke all things into existence. This should cause us to rejoice and to be glad because we don't understand this. Besides you saying something to Alexa and Alexa responding, you and I cannot speak anything at all into existence. In Genesis 1 verse 26, we are told that out of all the things that God made, he made man in his image after his likeness. So we learn here that mankind is special out of all creation. Out of everything that the Lord created, everything that you and I can see, everything that you and I cannot see, we were made to display his character and to know him intimately. We were made in his image. We were made to image him. Genesis 1, verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and morning the sixth day. So everything that God made was very good. It was completely perfect. All of his creation was without sin. Genesis 2, verse 15. 
Yahweh God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And Yahweh God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So man was created by God, and man was created for God. And God put man in the garden to work it and to keep it. Even before sin, we were made to work for God. And so the Lord God commanded man, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So this is what I want you to picture. I want you to picture that God has created everything, and everything that God has created, it was very good. Man existed. He existed in all of creation. God put man in the garden, and man could enjoy everything that God created. That's amazing. That man could enjoy everything that God created. He had access to everything. But there was one tree in which he said, do not eat of this tree. We were made by God. We were made for God. We were made to work for God. And we also had a command from God. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Genesis 2, 18 through 25, Yahweh God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now of the ground, Yahweh God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So Yahweh God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that Yahweh God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So God declared that it is not good for man to be alone. So he made a helper fit for him, woman. Now, this foundation of God, of this foundation of this is the Lord's creation and what he has commanded, now we can look at Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that Yahweh God had made. So Satan, the evil serpent, tempts the woman of God, Eve. Time doesn't allow us this morning, but it seems that Satan fell from heaven at some point after Genesis 1, verse 31, when everything that God had made was very good, and before Genesis 3, verse 1. Revelation 12 describes the fall of Satan. It says, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. 
but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. In Luke 10, verse 18, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That Satan was aware of what God told Adam as well as what Adam had told Eve. Satan begins the conversation with Eve. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So Satan deceives Eve by focusing upon what she is not to do while ignoring what the Lord has already graciously provided for her, which was everything. Prohibition is the focus, not provision. At a time of Thanksgiving and a time of Christmas, we can often neglect what God has graciously provided for us because our culture teaches us and our natural nature teaches us to go and to get more and more. Satan also deceived by saying, any tree, which God did not say, he said, do not eat of one tree. All other trees are yours. Prohibition was the focus of Satan. He ignored God's provision. Eve responds, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. It seems that Eve did not fully understand. She was already confused. The words of the Lord gave to Adam were, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. It's possible that Adam told her not to touch it, but she failed to mention the specific name of the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan responds, You will not surely die. Those words. You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So Satan declared God to be a liar. Satan deceived Eve by turning God's command into a question, doubting God's goodness, doubting God's motives, calling his word of truth a lie. God did not lie. Satan was and is the liar. Eve was already like God, without sin. Satan's temptation was about stealing, killing, and destroying, according to John 10. That is his M.O., his modus operandi. Satan wanted to be God. The breaking of commandment, number one and number two. No other gods and no idols. This is what Satan wanted. He wanted all the power. Satan wanted to be in charge. He wanted his will to be done. Therefore, he deceived Eve in thinking, you need to do what your will is, not what God's will is. So Satan, a created being, wanted to be worshipped by the creator and the rest of creation. John 8.44 gives us insight into his character. It says, you are the father, you are the father, you're the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. It has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. 
So Eve listened to the crafty, deceiving words of the devil, and she acted. So Eve acts. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, do do you hear the justification there? God made it. Of course it looks good. And the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So Eve ignored the commands of God as well as her husband. She lived by sight. She did not live by faith. She desired what was prohibited, and she ate. And she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And when Adam ate, the eyes of both of Adam and Eve were opened. The result, Eve believed Satan. She did not believe God. The result, Satan lied. God told the truth. The result, Satan's lie brought about death, separation from God. They were not more like God. Like Satan promised, they were now separated from God. They were corrupt, just like Satan. The promise, you will be like God. Reality, you are like Satan. Adam and Eve now understood good and evil completely because they were separated from God, evil. Their eyes were opened. The worship of God was removed and replaced with sin, the worship of self. This is a warning for us all. The enemy will dress up a lie and make it look so good and enticing, for that is who he is. He is the father of lies. And sin has consequences. Sin separates, sin deceives, and sin kills. In 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, we find this, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Sin kills, and when you do not know the truth, and you do not obey the truth, we are walking around announcing to the enemy, come and get me, come and deceive. Evil had already entered into the world with Satan, but now sin has entered the world through Adam. So let's see the result. Look at verse 8 of Genesis chapter 3. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Yahweh God among the trees of the garden. Yahweh God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten some of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. These verses reveal much about what was lost. Look at verse 8. It informs us that Adam and Eve heard the sound of Yahweh God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This is how close Adam and Eve were to the Lord. Sure, they, they knew the sounds of everything in the garden the Lord had placed them in. They knew the sound of all the different animals that they are around, but they also knew the sound of the Lord God walking. They knew his sound. 
That was a relationship. They knew the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden from a distance. Except now they were not running to him. They were running from him. They were hiding from him. They were ashamed. They were not wanting to be found. They did not want to see him. Hearing him was enough. They were using the trees of the garden, the very trees that God had made himself to hide themselves from the presence of the Lord God. I'm so thankful for God's word, for the word of God tells us that we cannot hide from him. Hebrews 4 verse 13, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account Job 28, 24, for he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. Jeremiah 17, verse 10, I, Yahweh, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So you talk about, it's not just physically, you can't physically hide from God. The Lord knows your mind and he knows it continually. Proverbs 15, verse 3, the eyes of Yahweh are in every place, keeping watch on evil and the good. So right now, your entire life is known to the Lord. He knows your heart. He knows if you are his or if you belong to Satan, the father of lies. He knows everything about you. He knows your motives. Verse 9, Yahweh God called to man and said to him, where are you? In Scripture, any time that God asks a question, it's not because God doesn't know the answer. The Lord knows everything. The Lord God knew where Adam and Eve were. Psalm 139. Oh, Yahweh, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, Yahweh, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I made my bed in shield, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Luke 12, verse 7 says, Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So Yahweh God, he knows all things. His words, where are you, were a declaration of what are you doing? You can't hide from me. Come to me. Verses 10 through 12 tell us about the conversation of God and Adam. Adam responds, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Yahweh responds, who told you you were naked? 
Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Adam declared, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. So let's pause just for a moment for a quick review. Adam was in charge of Eve. Eve was Adam's helpmate. Adam was with Eve in the garden when she ate. Adam ate. God asked Adam, have you eaten of the tree that was forbidden? And Adam responds with, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit. So Adam didn't confess his sins. Adam did not ask for forgiveness. Adam was fearful, and he blamed God. He said, you gave me this woman. Verses 13 and 14. Yahweh God brings Eve and Satan into the conversation. And Yahweh God says to the woman, what is this you have done? So the woman followed in Adam's footsteps. Eve said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the woman followed in Adam's footsteps and blamed the serpent. She didn't confess. She didn't ask for forgiveness. The Lord then cursed the physical serpent, specifically to the serpent. On your belly you shall go. You are unclean, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Romans 8 speaks of the corruption and creation. It says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly, and we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So serpents now crawl on their belly. Apparently they didn't before. And most likely Satan took the form of the serpent because it was the most beautiful as well as the most crafty of creatures. For Eve did not seem surprised or taken back that the serpent was talking to her. The serpent that was the most crafty is now the most cursed. Don't miss the curse. Don't miss God's judgment here. To summarize James Montgomery Boyce, Satan eats the dust of frustration. This is his curse. You shall know defeat. Dust is a symbol of humiliation. Anytime that we see a snake slithering, it is a reminder that Satan himself has been cast down. He has been cast down from heaven, and he has been cast down to the dust. Because of what Satan did, dust he shall eat all his days. I love the words of John Walton. Dust fills the mouth of the corpse, but dust will also fill the mouth of the serpent as it crawls along the ground. The truth is Satan will not win, that Satan will be defeated. And then we come to Genesis 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the picture I want you to understand. Satan has come. He's been cast out of heaven. He's been cast down to the earth. And he's gotten to the earth. And now he is seen. There's Adam. There's Eve. There is what God has made to image him. I'm going to get them. And he does. 
they fall. And at that point in time, Satan believed, I've done it. I may have lost heaven, but I'm going to win every soul on this earth. They're mine. They have fallen. Now they're going to have children. They're fallen. And they're going to have children. And they're fallen. I have won them all. No. The Lord makes a promise. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So sin has entered the world. Corruption has entered the world. Physical death has entered the world. As well as spiritual death. This is where I want to hit pause for a moment. and Stop and consider the goodness and the holiness of God. Yahweh God was not required to do anything at this point but to judge humanity. This is all that humanity deserves. He would have been completely just to let everything continue without a promise. But Yahweh declares the curses, and then he gives the first and greatest promise, the promise of a Messiah, the promise of a Savior. Genesis 3.15 is the first messianic prophecy that we find in Scripture. It has often been called throughout history the Proto-Evangelion, or the first gospel. The physical serpent was cursed, and Satan is told of his ultimate defeat. The promise was given, and it's a promise of hope. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. There will be hatred and fighting between Satan and the woman. There will be hatred and fighting between Satan's offspring and the woman's offspring, between Satan's seed and the woman's seed. So Satan's seed are unbelievers, as described in John 8:44 that I mentioned earlier. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. This is who we all are, conceived, born in sin. If you're a parent, you understand this. Her seed refers to Jesus Christ, a descendant of Eve. From Eve would come the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. So from the seed of the woman shall come the Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ shall bruise your head, but Satan shall bruise the heel of Christ. Christ will suffer, but Satan shall be defeated. This is where we need to get back to the understanding that God owes us nothing except wrath. This is how beautiful it is to come to the knowledge that the Lord has provided a way, one way for us to be saved because we were fully depraved. We have a promise of a Savior. Romans 16, verse 20, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 25, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Matthew 22, 44, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And then Hebrews 10 that we looked at earlier. 
But when Christ has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time till his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Hebrews 2 tells us, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So in Genesis 3, verse 15, her seed refers to that of Jesus Christ. The Jesus Christ would come. He would live a perfect life, born of the seed of a woman, a virgin. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he would freely lay down his life on a cross in obedience to God the Father for the sins of the elect. That Jesus Christ would come and perfectly do the Father's will. Something that the first Adam did not do. That Christ came and drank fully the cup of God's wrath. Paying for the sins of those whom God chose before the foundation of the world. That Jesus would be bruised. He would die, but three days later, he would rise from the dead, conquering death. Jesus was bruised, but Satan was crushed. He was defeated for the redeemed. Then... They have been set free from the curse of the law. When we talk about depravity, when we talk about original sin, we must go back and study what it is that we are celebrating. So many people are gathering together and they are celebrating what they are thankful for, but they're not giving thanks to the Lord. We gather together at Christmas time and they, they are celebrating all these different gifts, but they're not celebrating the one gift that has been given. Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. So in Genesis 3.15, a promise was given, the promise of Christmas. For the Christian this morning, we are to give thanks to the Lord for Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We have everything that we need in Jesus Christ. Every desire, every comfort, every promise, every hope. We find justification. We find spiritual and physical rest. We find sanctification. We find refuge. We find delight. We find the glorification that is to come. Christ is our all in all. For the lost, for the unbeliever, for the skeptic, know this, if you are not in Jesus Christ, you are in Adam. You are dead in your sin. Adam and Eve, they did not just get told things, they just not they were promised a curse. All of them were cursed. The serpent, Adam and Eve, they were all cursed. Adam and Eve were sent out of the garden, and since Adam is our representative, We all need a Savior, and Jesus Christ is the promised Savior. We have all fallen short in Adam. 
Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. There is an idea, there is a thought, there is a teaching that is spreading rampant across our world that you are basically a good person and you just need a little bit of Jesus. God's word says you are fully and completely wicked. You are not good at all. On your best day, you would never choose Jesus. And if you choose Jesus today, you won't choose him tomorrow. No one is basically good. Like Adam and Eve, you have disobeyed God. Original sin, the guilt has been imputed to all of us. The doctrine of original sin defines the consequences to the human race because of that first sin. Our nature as human beings since the fall has been influenced by the power of evil. Since the fall, all of mankind has been born completely depraved, meaning we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. The London Baptist Confession put it this way. By this sin, our first parents fell from the original righteousness and communion with God. We just saw this. They weren't running to the Lord to spend time with them. What were they doing? They were running away from him, hiding, because they did not want to be around him. We fell in them. For by in death came upon all, all became dead in sin and totally defiled in all the faculties and parts of soul and body. By God's appointment, they were the root, standing in the place of the whole human race. The guilt of this sin was imputed to, and their corrupted nature passed on to all their posterity by ordinary birth. Their descendants are therefore conceived in sin, and are by nature children of wrath, the servants of sin, the subjects of death, and all other miseries, spiritual, temporal, and eternal, unless the Lord Jesus sets them free. You see, if there was no Genesis 3.15, this is where we would all be. So the biblical or reformed view is that the effects of the fall extend or penetrate to the core of every human being. Your body and mind and will is completely corrupt. That we need a new heart because sin flows naturally from our heart. We need to be born again and be given a new heart by the Lord. John 3, 35 and 36, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. I love these verses for numerous reasons, but for one main specific reason that I love these verses is the fact is it doesn't say if you just believe. It says, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. So it's not just talking about a one-time confession. It's talking about a lifelong confession, a lifelong of repentance. That Christ is our only payment. Christ is our only justification. That without Christ, you cannot be born again. Without Christ, you need a new heart, and you will stand before the Lord guilty in your sin, sentenced to forever punishment in hell. Christ is the only one who can wash away your sins. Christ is the only victory, for he alone sets you free. 
Therefore, all of Scripture is saying that you are commanded, you've been commanded by God to repent of your sins and to trust in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation. Jesus Christ, he is the promise of Christmas. Christ, he is our only hope. He is your only hope. When we fully understand how the Lord made everything and it was good, without sin, complete, amazing fellowship with the Lord, and we understand all that's been lost. We understand our wickedness. We understand what the Lord did to Adam and Eve. That was no small thing that all three were cursed. Then Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. And that was a gracious thing for the Lord to do, by the way. The fact that they didn't eat of another tree that would have caused them to live forever. The fact that he provided a promise saying, I am going to make everything that has gone wrong in this world because of your sin, I'm going to make it right. And I'm going to make it right through Christ, the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the promise of Christmas. He is our only hope. And so there are probably people in your home that you live with who don't understand that hope. There are people on your street, your neighbors, coworkers that you know don't understand that hope. I want you to rest in that hope as Christians, and I want you to talk about that hope with those you know. He is our only hope. He is the only thing worth celebrating, not just this season. He's the only thing worth celebrating at all times. For as Christians, Christ is truly the only thing that we have. He is truly the only thing that we need. He is our all in all. Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for the promise that you gave. Thank you for the truth that you would have been completely just just to leave Adam and Eve in their sin. You would have been completely just to kick them out with no promise of redemption. That flies in our faces, in our own thinking, in our own minds, Lord, because we think we deserve everything that is good and right, but we deserve punishment and your wrath. Thank you for providing a Savior for our sin, our sin that separates us from you, our sin that is no small and minor thing, Father, we thank you that forgiveness is found in Jesus Christ. As we go about our work and our life, as we pray before we eat, as our alarms go off in the morning, or as we take naps and we spend time with family and our children, Transform our minds by your holy word. And may we think and rest upon 
the promise that you gave in Genesis 3, verse 15, the promise that has been completely filled, that there has been one who has come and paid a once and for all sacrifice, making full atonement for our sin. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the truth that he has fully drank the cup of wrath. For those of us in this room who are in Christ, who have a relationship with Christ, have repented of their sins and put our faith, hope, and trust in you, there is no more sting. It has been completely and fully paid for. Lord, for those in this room that are lost, convict them, Lord, of their sin. That they are separated from you, that God's, that your wrath is abiding upon them and they are standing before you, a holy God, guilty and without payment. Draw them to you. It's in Christ's name that we humbly pray. Amen.